0: could just be another ordinary sunday or it could be a sunday that changes your life it could be a word that transforms your week your world your year um so why don't we just raise our expectation today um as we welcome pastor timothy george to share the word with us thank you pastor timothy and you can grab a seat and you can sing along Maybe not sing, but just if you want to say some stuff, you can say some stuff in this too. All right. Haven't done this in a while because of COVID. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. There's nothing you can do that can't be done. There's nothing you can sing that can't be sung. There's nothing you can say, but you can learn to play the game. It's easy. And all you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love, love, love. Love is all you need. That's it. (laughs) All right, back to the preaching, yeah. Um, So on prayer meeting on Wednesdays, I, I know this 100%, that prayer meeting is where It's like the engine room of the church, and it's where Sunday's coals get sparked. And um, on Wednesday, uh, there was this word that just kept appearing and reappearing over and over and over again love, love, love. So, how would you define love? Is it a feeling? Is it an action? Is it an idea? Love seems to me within the human experience to be as defining as it is indefinable. If it was so easily defined, then why is there millions of songs about it? Why is everybody's experience so different? And yet without question, I think all of us could agree here that love is the epitome of human experience. 1 Corinthians 13.13 tells us that that when all the infatuations of life burn away, there are in fact three pillars that matter in the church. Faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. See, we all know that one. 1 John 4.12, it likens love between people to the beatific vision of seeing God himself. Our experience of love gives us an impression of what it is to see God. So what would be the point to life and let alone church without love? I would say zero, <laughs> nilch, nada. And as well as that, I personally, if I don't believe that the person that's ever speaking to me has love for me, then uh, i just glaze over. If I feel like someone's speaking to me, but without love, I will glaze over. So hopefully that isn't happening to you right now. You were created by love, to love and be loved. Love, love, love. <laughs> yes, I, I, I've got this, I had this image a while back around connection that if the church is, is a circuit board, then love would be the spark to that circuit board, and it's the way that the gospel becomes real to people, lights up to people, becomes uh, that that image of the lighthouse on the hill, a beacon to the lost. Do you know, the love, love between people is so enticing. Uh, a community of people that love each other is so enticing. It, it's For the gospel, it is a necessity. And I really feel like there's just no point to what if love isn't the why, that we need to be coming from a place of love. Otherwise, it, it, otherwise, without love in the church, it would feel like we're just ticking boxes. You know, praise complete, worship complete, preach complete, you know, tick, tick, tick. What would be the point if we never encounter Jesus, if we never feel it, if we never feel that love? We become box-ticking robots, empty suits of armour, and scaredy cat lions groaning, if I only had a heart, Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Here's a common statement that I hate with a passion. I fell out of love. Fall in love. Fall out of love. Fall, 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 we're out of control. (laughs) There's no control in our heart, no control in our emotions. We're just falling. And at some point, I believe that us who are fallen need to stop falling for everything. I believe that uh, at some point, we that are the church, we that are more than conquerors, need to stand for something. And since we've established the importance of love, can we not stand for love? Make a stand. We're no longer victims. I say that a lot. I think that's important to say. We're no longer victims. We're no longer fallen. We've been resurrected righteous, resurrected holy. We're children of God, founded upon His love with all authority to intervene upon the brokenness of the world. And that can start in our homes. It can start in the mirror. It can start right now with your thoughts and with your heart. Yes, today we are choosing love and it's starting now, so let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your enormous heart. We thank you for how much bigger you are than us, Lord. Lord, we can never comprehend the fullness of your love for us. But Lord, we are so desperate for it. And today, Lord, I just pray that as we discuss love, Father, that we get a true definition of that, Father, and we get just a taste of who you are, God, and so that Lord we can work all the more for you father and we can just press into you amen 1 Corinthians 13:4 love is patient why why is love patient suffers all that's true Love is patient because it has to be patient. See, we are—we're patiently awaiting heaven. We're in a fallen world. See, we've got so used to reading that statement that love is patient. Sometimes we forget the why. We've got to ask the why. The love is in the why. The heart behind we do. The heart behind the things we do is in the why. Well, you can do anything; it doesn't matter. But when you do it with love, it matters. So we say, why is love patient? Can't love just be a great experience? Why has it got to be patient? Who enjoys being patient? (laughs) Who enjoys love? But love is patient. Love is patient because it has to be. Your love is going to come under attack your love is going to be put to the to the test as we contest our fallen flesh, a fallen world it's going to be put to the test see my my heart my love uh my heart is quick to quicken if I was to describe the feeling of love uh in my body, it's like when my heart starts beating ba-doom. ba-doom, ba-doom, ba-doom. I'm loving that person like i I feel something for that person like. Yeah, I can feel it. My heart is quickened. And yet I'm told that if I've got real love, that I'm to be patient. The fast-beating heart does not want to be patient. <laughs> it's just, that's, a, that's a, a plain example of flesh versus spirit right there. At the See, when our love is patient, we don't explode at the little things. When our love is patient, we teach our children well. And when our love is patient, we wait for marriage before doing acts of love (laughs) that are only for marriage. I'll keep reading 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but it rejoices with the truth. Those are all the does nots, but let's look at the always. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Always, always. Who wants to be loved like that? Is that love to you? That's my understanding of love. I want to be loved like that always. Titus 1:15. To the pure, all things are pure. You know that one? Heard that one before? I've heard that verse used and abused to justify wrong kinds of love, actually. This verse is not to sanctify sin, but it's rather to promote innocence, grace, and a clear, a clean conscience. I don't know if you've ever been around people uh, who say a swear word that you didn't know. And to the pure, all things are pure. You know, hopefully you don't grab onto it and just start throwing it around (laughs) straight away. But like sometimes people will be swearing at me, I don't even know. People will tell a crude joke, I don't understand it. And I I walk away from that feeling encouraged and they say, let me explain it to you. I'm like, no, I don't want to know. I'm happy to say that to the pure, the things can remain pure. I'm happy to remain naive. I'm happy to remain innocent. If we can raise our kids that way, that would be great. If they can stay innocent. To the pure, all things are pure. If it starts feeling like others are out to get you, if it starts feeling uh, like everyone else is always to blame, if you catch yourself describing situations where you were always the victim, then there is a chance that perhaps you've lost your purity because what you're seeing is not purity. What you're seeing is malicious intent. Where you are going is towards paranoia. But to the pure, all things are pure. So how do we hold on to that purity? Let's bring this a little closer to home. Today's going to be a little bit on the nerve. I do sense that there are conflicts within this church. And I'm sure that you know, maybe your mind's going to different places. I don't know. But I I can sense it when stuff is up. It's good to talk truthfully about such things. You know, sometimes people just avoid each other. And we go into the groups we're comfortable with and we just avoid the people that make us feel a little bit like they're not my kind of person. <laughs> they shouldn't be. Maybe it's, I don't know. It's division of the body, at least. It's the church not gelling together. Something's wrong there. Uh, Or maybe, like, maybe sometimes what I see is people walk the long way around other people (laughs) so that they don't have to have a conversation, so that they don't have to make eye contact. And just occasionally, there's hints of gossip and slander behind closed doors. At that point, we've forgotten love. I think it's important to remember that this is not our church. This is Jesus's church. I remember those bracelets they used to have in the 90s, WWJD. Oh, we've got to bring that back. That's all retro now. We've got to get that back. I feel like, like though it was what would Jesus do? It was like an intellectual exercise. But I feel like maybe it should have transitioned to do what Jesus does. Do what Jesus do. (laughs) Because sometimes we know what Jesus would do, but it's like when the boss isn't around, you know? (laughs) And so like, I feel like it's good when we can do what Jesus do. It's not our church, it's Jesus' church. So I implore you, let's choose love. Choose love. There is too much Divorce even in this church. So let's choose love. There is too much drama in church. Forget the world for a second. There's too much drama in church. (laughs) Let's choose love. Let's let love win. Genesis 30 tells the most interesting story of, of two sisters Now, there was problems from the start, I do admit. Two sisters married to the one husband. So, and don't say amen to that. That's a problem, people. (laughs) Two sisters married to the one husband. There was a problem going on. But probably like the biggest problem here, forget all the cultural context for a second. The biggest problem is that sisters are supposed to love each other. And that because of their relationship and because of the things that they were sharing, they didn't want to, they didn't, it didn't work anyway. And so an enmity had formed between these sisters. And in the heart of the one that was more beautiful, she'd learnt to despise her sister. She'd learnt to be mean to her sister. There was conflict between them. And as a result of her heart towards her sister, God chose to not let her have children. To not let life come through her. And so, sisters, brothers, this is gonna sound weird for a second. You ready to go with me? We are all, the Bible says that the church is married to Jesus Christ. So we are married to Jesus, we share Jesus. Should we let the conflicts between us make us barren? Stop the life? from coming forth from us? Do you hear what I'm saying here? I'm saying that if we adopt that kind of attitude, we will frustrate the gospel. We will stop life from emerging. And when Rachel did humble herself, she had two babies. Super cute. I love babies. We need to choose love. See, love is not a compulsion. Like Hollywood will sell you that love is like you just it's literally that act of falling. It's a compulsion. It just drives you, you know, mate. It's it's wild, it's uncontrollable. And and that does feel great. I've felt infatuation like that before. But there's a deeper love than that. I believe love's a choice. I do because that compulsion can burn away. You can grow apart from people and you can choose to grow back together again. You can choose to meet at the heart of Jesus. If, you can, if that's the one thing that you leave with is that love is a choice, if you can leave with that in your mind, then that's, that's plenty, that's heaps. the love of God, it's just so fulfilling and freeing. When you've got the love of God, you don't, need to, you don't need to force other people to meet your needs. Need, need, needy love. When you've got the love of Jesus, you're full. You're fulfilled. You don't need to force other people to meet your needs. You're not doing this for me. You're not making me feel this way. I need this. When you have the love of Jesus, the water that never stops pouring, the bread that takes away all hunger, you don't need those things anymore. It's liberating. It's so liberating. You don't need to suffocate your friendships. You don't need to suffocate your marriages because they're just a cherry on top of all the needs that have already been met through Jesus. When you live that way, I can tell you that our first years of marriage were tricky because we took in our expectation. We took in our needs. And as we've been married longer and longer and longer, we've just realized that we need to meet those in Jesus himself. And at that point, we just appreciate the fact that someone loves us at all. I am so unlovable sometimes, but the grace of my wife finds a way to love me through it. And she can only do that Because her needs have already been met through Jesus. He's the best. He saves marriages. He saves friendships. So let's assume grace. Assume grace so that we might receive the same. Let's forgive freely so we might hold on to and prove our salvation. When you forgive freely, you prove your salvation. We don't hide things as sin and shame would have us do. Instead, we bring things into healing light because that's what Jesus taught us to do. Start of the Gospel of John, Jesus is the light. The light is healing. It came to save. We bring things into the light. We are children of the light. So we don't hide. Now rebellion, the spirit of rebellion will tell us To make our feelings God. It'll tell us to worship our feelings for things. And even within the church, sometimes people start getting a bit iffy about what's the voice of God and just how they feel. Here's a personal example let me humble myself before you. Well, not me, but my mom. (laughs) My mom said to my sister once, The Lord told me you're pregnant. (laughs) And she said, I'm not pregnant. There's an example of where an emotional response has got mixed in with the voice of God. And God does use your feelings and that's where it starts getting confusing. But what I'm saying is here we can't put the wrong we can't put the wrong thing as an idol. We can't put the wrong thing on the throne of God. When you're following your feelings instead of following Jesus, it's a wrong discipleship. A Christian is a follower of Jesus. See, the world, the world will say, follow your heart. Has, have, you heard this, have you heard that phrase before, follow your heart? I can tell you, if your heart is not Jesus, then following your heart still ends up in hell. And it, there'll be, it'll feel good at little increments along the way, but the problem is that sin, the problem is we're not perfect. And as you follow those things, it'll just start spiraling out of control. And before you know it, you won't even know. It. And you won't be interested in Jesus because your heart and the sin in our, the, has impressed itself in our heart. It will give us tastes for things that we should not have taste for. And then we won't be interested in tasting and seeing that the Lord is good because we've decided what good is right back like in the Garden of Eden where we were deceived by the snake, where we thought, hey, it would be good to decide good for ourselves. And so we wanted to be God. We wanted to play judge. Rebellion wants to worship feeling. Wisdom knows that our emotions are vulnerable. That's wisdom to know that. Our hearts need protecting. That's why God put them in a cage. (laughs) If your heart is out there, if it is exposed, if it's not protected, that's a problem. You might end up in hospital that way. But not only did he put our hearts in a cage, he also charged us to take captive every thought, every feeling. Take it captive. We are not out of control. We are spiritual conquerors. We need to take captive our thoughts and our feelings. So we, we can begin doing that by thinking and speaking well of other people. That's a good way to avoid conflicts. Think and speak well of others. Meet with people and share your heart. Bear your heart. Warn those who are idle and disruptive and pray for those that frustrate you. We can passionately discuss differences. When you're passionate about something, it is fine to passionately discuss your differences. But we can always aspire to do better because we love each other. And that's what family does. We're family in this place. Now, I do understand that healing takes time. But I just think that whilst we wait, that we should beware indulging in self-pity. We should beware bad influences that tell us what we want to hear, but perhaps not what God is saying. And we should beware nurturing bitterness into full-grown hatred and division. Like personally, I can tell you that sometimes it hurts to love, right? Personally, I I can tell you that things have hurt me. Things have hurt me in this place. As well. But should I then say that love is hurt? That can't be right. If God is love, how can love be hurt? So I need to believe that if if I'm worshiping the God of love, that that can beat this feeling, that can beat that pain, that can overcome that. Otherwise, I don't really believe what I believe. I was like, uh, even in that song I sung at the start, uh, there's a line in it I don't agree with, <laughs> but I sung it anyway. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. I reckon it's it's not a game. Very serious. How you love people, getting loving people right, that's the work. Thessalonians says that, Thessalonians, the book of love. If you want to learn about a church that was doing love right, it's Thessalonians. And it says that faith sets the vision. Faith tells you what to do. It's like the brains. But love is the work. It does the actual work. So the work of the church is if faith is the brain, love is the bronze. (laughs) All right? And then lastly, it says, the last pillar, I said them before, faith, hope, love, and hope is what helps us endure the work. Because I can tell you, for those that are serving in the church, the moment your hope is gone, you will not endure. You will not endure serving. You will not endure staying in the church. We can't lose that hope. I love what David said in Psalms. He said, I would have lost heart had I not had hope that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost hope if I hadn't had the faith that Jesus was going to come here. I would have lost hope if I didn't believe that the heavens would open. That it would, we that there's power to transform brokenness. Yes, it hurts to love sometimes. But I just believe that it's better to get a bullet out than walk with a limp for the rest of my life. You know, I God gave me that metaphor ages ago of operations, you know, And, you know, when you go for an operation, they need to numb parts of you. (laughs) And they need to, you know, sometimes it's a big deal and you're going to die if they don't get in there and cut something out. You know, sin is a bit like barbed fruit. It's It's a bit like a disease. It will make its way into parts of your body, deep parts, parts where it shouldn't be, parts where it's hurting you, that it's in there, that it's come inside. And so the Word of God, it's a two-edged sword, and we say that iron sharpens iron, and we spear each other on it, all of these sharp metaphors, because sometimes we need to go to those deep places, and that hurts. But we're not going there because we enjoy cutting. <laughs> I'm not saying some challenging words because I enjoy cutting, no. It's because something is in there that's stopping us from moving the way we should. Something is in there that's a bit dangerous, that's hurting us. And should we run from that hurt and avoid the operation only to have things get worse, only to have things spread, only to die? Or should we do the work, the work of love? I I opt for the latter. I opt that we continue to challenge each other, that we continue to say the awkward stuff. That's the work. Now, if you're anything like me, sometimes uh, you'll expect others to love you right and you'll refuse to do the same until they do. You do it first, you know, you lead me. Why should I do that? You're not doing that. And we say, we're a bit like all mankind. We say, but the snake, but the woman, but God. And we, we arrest our development and we wait or we try and induce these, these sorries as though uh, it's the sorry that would heal our heart. We try and take control of healing our own heart. We try and elicit sorries from other people. I won't forgive you because they never said sorry to me. <laughs> and so we like put those guilt statements <laughs> like trying to force a sorry as though sorry... How powerful is a sorry compared to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Does man's value mean so much to you? I can tell you when the sorry comes, it's not much. There's not much to it. That if you can't wrestle that out with Jesus, if you can't be healed before getting that, like the sorry doesn't even need to come once you've got Jesus. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's the truth. So what if, let me ask you this, what if sorry never comes? What should we do then? Should we allow unforgiveness to disease the heart of the church if sorry never comes? Shall we say Jesus' love is not enough to cover that hurt? And not just that hurt, but also the person that hurt us. Love covers a multitude of sins. If we believe it, we can't say that. Shall we settle for sin and brokenness or expect heaven? That's what we're talking about. Shall we follow the world into pride or Jesus into eternity? That's what we're talking about. Now around hurting people, there's something else I've noticed. It's this word trust. It's an overemphasis of the word trust. I'm not sure if you've, you've heard this. I think when someone's hurting, they can throw this one around. You've broken my trust. You've broken my trust. For this reason, John 2, 24. It tells us that Jesus trusted himself to no man because he knew what was in man. He trusted himself to no man. And yet John 3, 16, that famous verse, merely one chapter later goes on to famously say, God so loved us, he so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now your reasoning and rational people, what therefore is the relationship between trust and love? Trust is not a prerequisite to love. When the trust is broken, people decide that they're allowed to get a divorce. When the trust is broken, people decide they can withhold love. I don't need to treat you good. I'm still mad. You broke my trust, my trust. Trust submits to love. It must It doesn't say that the three pillars of church are trust, love and faith, no. Trust must submit to love. You can love someone and still not trust them. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that someone can hurt you and you can still focus in on loving them. You can still save your marriage after someone breaks your trust that it's not over. You can still save a friendship. Now, on this subject of of submitting things, trust, submitting to love, on the subject of submission, during the last sermon, I preached 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. And I've got to tell you that there was such an interesting feeling in the room on that day, in the spirit. And uh, this was confirmed by people with the gift of prophecy afterwards as well. And there was almost like this tangible rocking backwards and forwards in the room. <laughs> it was like, yes, no, yes, no, to the words that were being spoken. Yes, no, am I offended? Yes, no, yes, no, who's watching? Yes, no, yes, no. It was like, you know, the L-platers when they learned to drive the cars, you know? Go, stop, go, stop, go, stop. So why are we holding back? Everybody that walks through this door, new people, they always confirm for us and different people visiting from other churches, they say that this church is on the edge of something. Edge of our seats, edge of our sanity, you know. (laughs) One one or the other. Do we leave out in faith or do we retreat back to the boring? A Christian... Their desperation for revival needs to outweigh their hesitation of the cost, their fear of the unknown. I want it to sing like Elsa in, in the second Frozen, you know, into the unknown. <laughs> That's where I want to be, into the unknown. So what's this got to do with love, you say? Well, after the famous verse in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, blah, blah, blah. 1 Corinthians 14.1 goes on to say, I found this most interesting. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Likewise, though the theme of the book of 1 Thessalonians, it's a constant applaud of this church's love for one another. In the final sentiments of the final chapters, Paul warns them in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Just test them. It's for love's sake that God gave Jesus, right? And it's for love's sake that He gave the Holy Spirit as well. It's the same love. So you can't pick and choose parts of God any more than you can marry someone to change them. You can't take Jesus and then leave the Holy Spirit. You can't take love and then reject the gift of tongues. To resist the moves of the Holy Spirit, although wild though they may be, to resist them is to resist Jesus, is to resist love, is to resist life, is to resist the fruit we're working so hard for. Without the wildness of the Holy Spirit, you know, it's, it's the wildness of the Holy Spirit that necessitates faith. The Holy Spirit. I don't know if I would have the same level of faith if the Holy Spirit wasn't pushing me, always pushing me to step out, to say the things I don't want to say, to do the things I don't want to do. Yes, that's uncomfortable, but that's not uncomfortable so that you can uh, put on your judge of good and evil hat that you got from the Garden of Eden, that you forfeited relationship with God so you can put that on and be like, no, this is right, that's not right, this is, no, I... Jesus, good, Holy Spirit, bad, blah, blah, blah. It feels like that antagonism because it feels like we're so desperate to control and that's because we got that from the Garden of Eden, That's the hat we've got to take off. That's the submission we've got to do. And then we just need to release. Do you know what it feels like when you're in love with someone that's trying to control everything you're doing? Where were you? Check your phone. Like, you have to wear these clothes. You have to do this. Control, control, control. And yet what freedom we have in Jesus. What a demonstration of how, how to be loved, how to love someone. We have freedom. Love and freedom, natural partners together. Yeah. Love and freedom. Yeah. Freedom. Oh, man, I love freedom. Yes, the Holy Spirit necessitates faith and humility. you got to put you aside for a second and do what He asks you to do. And submission Without the Holy Spirit, being a Christian can quickly become just this exercise in trying to be a good person. Again, all of that was just from the fall in the Garden of Eden. You know, we can pour over Scriptures. Suddenly, the way we read the Bible, it's not to actually change ourselves. It's to be right about something, (laughs) to feel better then. Sin wants to be God. Sin wants to force, to control. Sin empties the law of love. Sin accuses God and others of wanting to keep all the power, but refuses to look in the mirror. No, we were made righteous. We were made righteous. If we want to talk about good, we were made righteous by what? Faith. We were made righteous by faith, not by trying to be good, not by reading the Bible and to justify your actions, not by twisting everything so that you're always on top. We were made righteous by our faith, by our belief in God, by our love for God, made righteous in that. And that's the same faith that moves mountains. See how the two, love and the power of the Holy Spirit, they're not separated, they're the same thing. And the mountain that we need to move first of all when you are in relationship with God is the mountain of the pride that's inside yourself. That's the first mountain that's got to go. God wants to share, if He didn't, why create you? Why redeem you with His Son? Why fill you with His Spirit? Come on. God doesn't have a prenup. (laughs) God doesn't have a plan B. God's all in. Jesus, Holy Spirit, heaven, all in. All in, all the time, always. Come on. I'm just going to skip ahead in this. Love breaks through people. Love breaks through unforgiveness. It breaks through sin. It breaks through apathy. Jesus' love, it's enough to heal this church. It's enough to heal marriages. It's enough to heal friendships. Jesus, is, 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 His love is enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's up to us to choose it. Right. We get a choice. We get that beautiful freedom of love. God, choose it. And since we trust God, that's the one person we can, the one God we can trust. And since we trust God, we have to let Him heal our hearts, shape our hearts, lead our hearts Church, I hope you know that I love you. Otherwise, none of this has mattered. You know we're gonna fight. (laughs) Love, like love, always does. We're gonna fight. That's fine. You know, we can't, when there's that love of Jesus, you can't scare each other off. Sin doesn't scare you anymore. The darkest parts of a person, shall I say that they're bigger than the grace of Jesus? (laughs) Yeah, right. And so we love each other. And so I love you. Now, if we magnify that by infinity and we explode explode it into the galaxies and we have a billion angels chorusing it all day long, then we're beginning to approach the love of Jesus for you. Today, I know that you need to hear this that you are loved. You're loved. And not that tokenistic Jesus loves you like yelled from a youth bus window. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do the trick. Not that tokenistic kind, but it's that put everything on the line, scared to feel so deep writing awkward love letters. (laughs) It's that at the altar, it's that fight it out, it's that have a million babies kind of love with Jesus. It's the true love story. You know, everyone wants this true love. You got it. (laughs) It's true love. We're living the story. We're living the greatest love story. And I just I have this image of the gentleman Jesus, you know, and He's, just, he's always just waiting for us, he's just waiting, waiting at the altar. And I know that Jesus, for us, the church bride, there is such freedom when we are with Him. And you can read this in the Song of Songs. It's pretty intense, the love that Jesus feels for the church. It's intense. But there's such freedom. He wants to clothe us. He wants to, he calls us the most beautiful girl in the whole world. It's very romantic, you know. He wants to put jewels in our hair. He wants to give us that white dress that never stains, the whitest of dresses. This freedom to dance without a care in the love of Jesus. It's a heaven-moving love. It's a heaven-moving longing to be near to you. That's Jesus' love for you. He moved heaven to get to you. So let Him get to you right now. Just let Him get to you. Just realize the depth of that. Heaven did not need to move for you. Who are we that heaven would move? Who are we that the Son of Heaven, the most beautiful part, their treasure would be released for us, would open for us? Heaven, move to be near, just to be near to you. Got to let it in. If only we could know God's heart for us. No doubt could remain. No walls could remain. I'll get you to stand to your feet. I'm not going to do a a prayer line because we've had the time here we will we're going to sing a praise song in a second and celebrate that love but first what I'm going to invite you to do is I'm going to invite you just to either put your hand on your heart or you can look down at your heart because I'm going to pray a prayer for you and I'm going to speak to your heart so you can have a look at your heart or put your hand on your heart and let me speak to your heart We're just going to tell it what to do, all right? Hearts, you will obey. Hearts, you will love Jesus. You will open up. You will not be scared. You will love goodness. You will be brave. You will be healed. You will trust again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's praise God.